You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 213 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. Another day, another podcast. You know, China has a population of a billion people. One billion. That means even if you are a one in a million kind of guy, which I would say I am, then if I lived in China, there are still a thousand others like me. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Today I want to talk about something that I discovered in a dirty old box I had in my garage or garage. A very important for me piece of document. But before we get to that, why don't we kick this episode off with Terence McKenna talking a bit about the octopus. I suppose in, this is the point in this discussion uh, to point out that there, this visible language that I'm talking about, there is a precedent for it in nature. Uh, there's a very interesting book, which if you're into animal communication, it's well worth reading. It's called uh, Communication and Non-Communication uh, Among the Cephalopods. And it points out that octopi... Uh, have this ability to change their color and their shape and their surface texture. And it was at first assumed that this had to do with camouflage against complex backgrounds. But it turns out that it has nothing to do with that or very little to do with that, that octopi communicate visually. And so, in a sense... The octopus is the model for the kind of future evolution of human communications that I'm suggesting we need. The octopus is, from the point of view of another octopus, uh, a naked mind, an entirely naked mind, because it does not transduce its thoughts into acoustical waves which move across space and are then reconstructed in a culturally sanctioned dictionary, it actually becomes its meaning. It translates syntax into three dimensions, and it dances its intent. And the soft body of these creatures allows them to fold and unfold and reveal and hide parts of themselves very rapidly, as fast as we can make speech. They do this. And so this is a potential model for how human beings might communicate. After all, if we were simply naked minds, I imagine us as existing as somewhat filamentatious creatures in a semi-aqueous cybernetic medium with us displaying our syntactical uh, intent on our surface. You would become what you mean in that case. And the octopus does that. The reason octopi extrude ink into the water is so that they can form a private thought. It's the only way that they're able to disconnect from the telepathic net. 
I think that illustrates perfectly why, in a way, it is pointless to talk about the psychedelic experience. How can words ever be used to discuss the inexplicable? We need to be able to communicate like an octopus to even get close to describing the psychedelic experience. I've dug a really deep hole by having a podcast where this is one of the main topics Although not the only topic, but, you know, if it's impossible to really dissect the psychedelic experience, then it's really difficult to have a podcast about that, uh, in a way. I'm still, after many years, struggling with the point of this podcast. What, what, what the fuck am I doing? Maybe I have a habit of trying to be too intelligent about what I do, trying to think about it too much, and instead I should maybe just listen to what Ayahuasca told me many years ago to don't think about it, just do it. But I can help to sometimes think about it. Maybe I should just shut up and keep doing what I'm doing. I've put myself in a weird position. You know, I like to be left alone. So why the hell do I put myself out there I also have no interest in being a teacher or a guru, but when you project your ideas about life and the world to thousands of people, you inadvertently can fall into that category, whether you like it or not. You know, people write and ask me advice and stuff like that, but, you know, don't listen to me. I don't know any more than the next guy. You know, I cannot give anyone any advice, not even if I had a PhD. I can only speak about my experiences, and I'm not sure why anyone would care what those are. Maybe I'm simply a seed for the simple idea that I stand behind. Maybe that, maybe that is the point. I did an episode a while back called uh, Not About You... And in that episode, I argued that this podcast is not about me. It's, I guess I can't even say what it is, but by doing this podcast, maybe I'm doing something good for some reason, in some way. I don't know. I am by no means perfect, but um, I do know what I think should be the seed in all of us and what I think is the main message of this podcast or at least what I would like the message of this podcast to be and that is freedom, freedom, (laughs) freedom and love. Pretty simple. Freedom and love for all. That, that, That would be nice if that could happen. I hope you agree. Everybody is in love with this word, bravo. They spend their lives trying to hear it called out to them, bravo, bravo. Crowing comes from the rooster, mourning comes from God. Anyway, let's get to that document I found in my garage, in my garage, that I mentioned earlier. And uh, you you see, recently I've been throwing out a lot of crap 
that I've amassed over the years. And doing that, I came across a piece of paper that declined my application, or to be more exact, my mother's application for me to attend a Montessori school. And for those that don't know, the Montessori method of education developed by Maria Montessori is a child-centered educational approach based on scientific observations of children from birth to adulthood. The Montessori method views the child as one who is naturally eager for knowledge and is capable of initiating learning themselves if the environment is supportive, thoughtfully prepared, and all that stuff. And the Montessori method attempts to develop children physically, socially, emotionally, and cognitively. Cognitively. Basically, the Montessori method is the complete opposite of the fucking machine-like, dumbed-down factory education of the public school system. When I was seven years old, I really, really looked forward to starting school. I could already read and write simple sentences. In fact, I remember the day when I learned how to read. I was about five, six years old, and I was reading a Donald Duck comic book. That, And I've read it many times, but I never understood what those words in those speech bubbles what those words said and I was looking at the text uh, one day and I suddenly saw what it said it was very weird I was like hey I can I know what they're saying and uh, uh, yeah it just happened like that uh, anyways in my first day of school uh, when I was seven years old I sat down and the teacher said that we are going to talk about the alphabet. I remember I was totally excited and I thought, yes, now I'm going to learn to read and write properly. Let's take this to the next fucking level. Let's go, let's do it. Then the teacher said, this children is the letter A. And that was the beginning of a 12-year-long hell ride of complete time-wasting. I'm not saying I was a prodigy or some child genius or something like that. All I'm saying is that compared to public education, I was at least 2-3 years ahead. Um, that's all. And no one, no one did anything about it. I mean, they must have noticed. School was completely boring. What the kids were learning two years ahead of me, that's where I was at. If only somebody would have grabbed me and moved me ahead or done something or... I don't know. I didn't do anything about it myself. I didn't even complain about it, actually. Because it took me about six, seven years to even realize that this was the case. That the school system and the education I was receiving was stupid and not helpful. It took me that long because 
I held on to the hope that next year it will be different. But it never was. It was always the same garbage. I was so excited to go to school that I held on to my faith for year after year, hoping my dream of actually fucking learning something would bear fruit. I'm not a native English speaker, but I already knew English at least enough to have a simple conversation. I learned it from watching Transformers and He-Man Masters of the Universe, those cartoons. And uh, don't ask me how I learned it, but, you know, a child's brain soaks up a language like a sponge, so it's much harder for adults. So I, I picked up English in some way, I can't remember how. And when I was 10 years old, we were going to start to study English in school. And I thought, okay, great. Now I can really start to learn to speak this language. Then the teacher said, this is called a chair. This is called a table. And so on. There is something wrong with the world. When a toy company's promotional videos like Transformers and He-Man, teach you more than school. And I blame it on the method. The public school method, and maybe it's different in other countries, I don't know, but I don't think so from what I've heard. The public school method does not view the child as one who is naturally eager for knowledge and capable of initiating learning in a supportive, thoughtfully prepared learning environment. The public school method does not attempt to develop children physically, socially, emotionally, and cognitively. If they had done that, I would be 10 times more advanced today, knowledge-wise, than I am. And I would have suffered 10 times less agony. Because one thing leads to another. You know, If you're not satisfied with what you're learning, maybe you're start misbehaving, maybe you get in trouble, one thing leads to another. That's the problem. That's the problem. You know, many of those those kids that end up in crime and addiction, you know, maybe if they'd gone to a better school from the beginning, maybe they would never have needed to become that kind of individual. When I saw that letter that I found declining and informing my mother that I would not be able to attend Montessori school because I had not gone to Montessori preschool. When I saw that letter, just the other day, I got really angry. Even though the letter is very old by now, but I, di I, I didn't even know I had been declined. I, I can't remember that. I didn't know. And I got really angry even though the person who wrote the letter has probably died of old age by now, in a way I could trace all the difficulties and hardships of the years I spent in school right back down to that fucking letter. If she would have approved me, my whole life would have been different. I swear to God it would have been. Maybe it was a blessing in disguise. Maybe things worked out anyway. Who knows? Nobody knows. But I know I suffered a lot of emotional and mental pain going through those 12 years of school that I could have avoided. 
if I had been given better tools and better attention and and if the teacher would have fueled my fire of learning instead of quenching it. I mean, I remember like a bit older when I was like 15, 16. In history class, I was like, uh, okay, we, uh, the teacher said, we're going to study the Second World War again, yada, yada, yada. And I went, okay, I, I've done a thesis on the Second World War. I've written an essay on Hitler. I've studied it several times in your fucking curriculum over the years. I kind of know about the Second World War. Could I... I would be really interested to understand the historical reasons for the conflict between the United Kingdom and the Northern Ireland and IRA and all that crap. Could you please allow me to study and learn about that and then you can test me on it or something? No, we are going to study the Second World War. Sit down and shut up. That's the public school method. It's very hard for a young soul that wants to learn to discover that school is not about learning. It's about remembering. And I have a sort of short-term photographic memory. So it wasn't that difficult to just remember what I needed to remember for the test. And with that technique, I hardly ever did any homework and I never really learned anything. So that was a bummer as well. Even though, it, you know, in a way it was good. I mean, I didn't have to waste too much time. Still... I rather ha- I would rather have done homework and learned something. And there was never a teacher or a class that tried to support or inspire me. Never, not once. Well, once. Actually, there was one time. N- not one year or one teacher, but one day in these 12 years. In 12 years, there was only one time. It was in math class at about 11 years of age. And I I was struggling because I found the class boring. And I did not have my normal teacher that day. There was a substitute. And I conveyed this uh, message to the substitute. And he told me to write a story instead. So I spent that math class writing this amazing story. I got really into it. I was writing and writing. It was awesome. What's wrong with having an 11-year-old kid write for an hour straight without complaining and actually loving it? Learning, because you learn when you write to be creative, to formulate sentences, to be poetic. Isn't that what we should love to see in a classroom? Children that that are doing things, you know, loving it? That teacher was the shit. I never forgot that day. So yeah, I wasn't allowed to go to Montessori school where they try to place the child at the center and where they embrace the child's thirst for knowledge and creativity. I wasn't allowed because I had not gone to Montessori preschool. Well, guess where my daughter is right now as we speak? In Montessori preschool. Yeah, that's right, motherfuckers! Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> my daughter will face hardships. I'm sure of that. I mean, pain is a part of life, but I am a at least going to do whatever I can to at least remove unnecessary hardships. Stuff that can easily be avoided, like a good education in a system, in an educational system that, you know, tries to inspire the child to learn instead of making it into a fucking robot. 
The fact that I grew up without a father who abandoned me is another pain that she will never experience. Not even if I die, because it's not the same. Because she will know, and if I have any other kids, they will also know, that I will never ever abandon them. And dying is not abandoning, because you don't want to die, you don't want to leave them. So it's not the same. I will always be there for them as long as I live. And when I die, I will still be there. Because they will know I would have wanted to be there. And that, my dear friends, is the difference. I think you already know that this podcast is the cat's pajamas. That when listening to this podcast you feel totally lit. That you cannot deny that it is legit. The bee's knees, gravy noodles, packed, peachy. Sometimes even a complete clam slam. Now if you feel it as I do, why don't you become a patron? And support the podcast. Go to patreon.com forward slash natural born alchemist. Stay woke. Support. You can also give a nice review on iTunes. That costs nothing and is greatly appreciated. And why don't you send in some questions or topics? It gets boring if this is a one-way communication. I know I said before that I want to be left alone also. You know, I am a Gemini, so you got to get used to me saying things that contradict each other. And I am a living paradox in that sense. If you have any questions or topics you want to bring up on the podcast, you can find a contact form on naturalbornalchemist.com. But please... Don't ask me for life advice because you got to figure that shit out for yourself. A few years ago, I was up in the north of Scandinavia and visited the Sami people. The land is called Sápmi. Currently stolen and colonized by Norway, Sweden, Finland and Russia. At a little concert in a church up there, I recorded some joiks. A joik is a traditional form of song of the Sami people of the Nordic countries and Koala Peninsula of Russia. I'm not sure you say joik in English. Uh, anyway, that's what they call it. Joik. Uh, origi- originally, uh, a joik referred to only one of several Sami singing styles, but in English, uh, as I found out on the internet, the word is often used to refer to all types of traditional Sami singing. I guess it's like shaman, you know, people call everybody a shaman, but really it's only the like the Siberian part. Those medicine men, there are shamans. I mean, the shamans in Peru are not really shamans by name. They are actually curanderos or ayahuasqueros, like you know, the bewitching Gabon called Nganga and stuff like that. Anyway, as an art form, each joik is meant to reflect or evoke a person, animal or place. The sound of joik is comparable to the traditional chanting of some Native American cultures. 
There are also features shared with the shamanistic cultures of Siberia, which mimic the sounds of nature. And what I think is interesting is that the healing songs of the Shipibo in the Amazon, what is known as uh, Icaros, they, they sound like this, or they start like this. And some joys start like this. Two indigenous cultures separated by half the world both generate the same kind of vibe when they initiate a song. Perhaps the answer lies in the idea that if you live connected to nature, then those are the sounds that come out naturally from your soul. Anyway, I want to close this episode with one of those joys I recorded in that church. I don't know who sang, uh, but uh, whoever it was, thank you for your wonderful song. See you all in a week. And one thing that I never learned in the public school system that I was in was that freedom is in the mind. Don't